You're listening to Below the Radar, a knowledge mobilization project out of 312 Maine. This podcast is about bringing forward ideas to encourage meaningful exchanges across communities. Each episode, we interview guests on topics ranging from environmental and social justice, arts, culture, community building, and urban issues. This podcast is recorded on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and the Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Hi, I'm Melissa Roach from SFU's Van City Office of Community Engagement. This week, we're shifting our focus south of the Fraser to Surrey. Bob Williams talks about the capacity for Surrey to be a hub outside of downtown Vancouver, talking about the SFU Surrey campus and how it's drawing more talent and attention these days. Thanks for tuning in and uh, take a listen. This is Bob Williams interviewed by Am Joe Hall. Hi, welcome to Below the Radar, our uh, podcast. Thank you for joining us again this week. Uh, we're with Bob Williams, former NDP cabinet minister from the David Barrett government from the early 70s. Uh, That's Bob, below the radar. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, Bob uh, was for a long time a board member with Van City Credit Union, and he's been involved in dozens of uh, projects before and uh, since then. But welcome, Bob. Thanks, Sam. Good to be here, especially at 312 Maine. Yeah, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your, uh, your involvement at 312 Maine, actually. Why don't we start there? Well, maybe uh, it's our joint involvement at 312 <laughs> Maine. When Jim Green, who was the great community activist that changed the whole neighborhood and defined the neighborhood, was in Toronto, he came across the Center for Social Innovation probably 20 years ago or so, and he was very impressed by Tanya Sermon and and the people that created it. And it became a center for social innovation to be really creative around social innovation and uh, working with NGOs and disadvantaged communities and others. And uh, it's evolved into a great success. And uh, Jim could see the case for it uh, in the downtown east side. And uh, he sort of left that burden on me when he passed away. Uh, it's what he still wanted to see down here. And so you and I got together and we convinced some other people and Van City became involved and provided a small endowment to the Jim Green Foundation, which we're still part of, and we initiated uh, the project. And now it's sort of partly open at uh, Cordova and Maine, and um, it's, um, it's coming along more or less in the direction we had hoped, and uh, it's very active and the NGOs are moving in. The ground floor isn't activated, but uh, some of us saw this as uh, uh, a matter of learning about uh, uh, social capital and human capital and uh, how it could be transformational in a place like this. And um, so I guess there's the burden on my conscience and I think all citizens' conscience in the city about the loss of uh, the First Nations women and the serial killer that was involved in them. And so I saw a project like this as being partly redemptive in terms of what we owed the community because of our failure to uh, look after some of the most disadvantaged people in this neighborhood. Uh, for a long time, uh, Bob, you've been uh, we're building uh, relationships between Van City Credit Union and the University of Bologna uh, related yeah. to their relationship to cooperative uh, economics. And uh, Pierre Luigi Sacco, 
uh, came uh, here about 12 or 13 years ago and has been here more uh, recently to Surrey. But I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about uh, the work you're doing in terms of uh, the relationships in Emilia-Romana region uh, in Italy and the cooperativized economy that they have there. Yeah, uh, it's fascinating, really, and not enough people in North America know about uh, the great university there. It's the first university uh, in Europe. So it was established in 1088, and um, uh, it's you know it's part of the great roots of uh, the Enlightenment and the transformation in Europe after the Middle Ages, and so the University of Bologna and University of Edinburgh were at the heart of the Enlightenment after uh, the darker years in Europe, um, and so it's fascinating to for somebody from here to get re-educated amongst the intellectual elite of Europe, which sounds terribly snobbish, but it's also just a recognition of we have a hell of a lot to learn here. And so in Emilio Magna, it's been a wonderful history. They, they, were, they, they were the first out of feudalism in Europe in the Po River Valley. And out of that, they really, in, they really established the first real citizenship in Europe after. And so they had to manage the Po River Valley and its flooding and everything, and that required cooperation. So, so these poor uh, people of the valley realized that their future lie in cooperating, and uh, they now are the beacon for cooperative economics uh, in the world. So we were lucky with Van City Credit Union being what it is, to establish an ongoing program there over the last 15 to 20 years, where we uh, took our staff there and they could learn more about it. But at one point we thought, let's bring one of these great professors to Vancouver to look around, and that was Pierre Luigi Sacco. And uh, he's one of these intellects that uh, has uh, highly developed both sides of the brain. So the mechanical, mathematical side, and uh, the, the uh, analytical side and the artistic, romantic side are both highly developed. So he now, uh, he 10 years ago, he came and he looked around the whole rim of Falls Creek and the arts community in Vancouver and said, you know, the east side rim of Falls Creek is the creative center of the city. And uh, it truly is if you sort of map it. Uh, and so he led us to the whole idea that something like 312 Main would make a lot of sense. And part of it might be in terms of integrating the uh, arts community and the economic community. And I think we're on our way in that regard. But we decided about, uh, well, just this year to talk to him again because we were doing in work in Surrey. And uh, so we gave him a call on Skype, which uh, for an old fart like me is uh, brilliant stuff that I'm not used to. And uh, it was like we'd never left one another. And we talked him into coming out for another trip for a week, uh, mainly to look at Surrey because it's uh, evolving as our second great city in the lower mainland. And it's evolving in a way that will have its own central business district, just as Vancouver has its own central business district. And I was involved earlier in creating what we called uh, Central City, which is a wonderful galleria, shopping center, and tower, and so on, which we intended to move ICBC to, but uh, the new government didn't agree with that, and so the tower is used by all kinds of uh, existing uh, free enterprises, which uh, are uh, excited about being able to have such classy uh, surroundings in Surrey. 
Uh, and you know, the Galleria is one of the glorious spots in the Lower Mainland. And many of us here in the city are kind of snobs and don't get out to Surrey and are totally unfamiliar with the beauty of that project, which involved uh, Simon Fraser University. And uh, it's a fascinating building block going on now to create a new CBD across the river. Historically, we've always been a two-centered region. With the old interurban line and streetcar system, the other center was New Westminster and Vancouver. And uh, now it's shifted over to Surrey, uh, North Surrey and Vancouver. And so it's well underway. And for those that don't get to visit Surrey, you need to go out there because the university is there in the Galleria and it's magnificent. And they've just finished a new engineering center and other projects. Um, so we're on the edge of having a university city across the Fraser River. And uh, that's where all of our new growth is. That's where most of the kids are. And it's transformational. Uh, that university right now is attracting the top 2% of our students in British Columbia. It's that good. And most people don't even know it's happening. And it's in that whole exciting world of engineering, the arts, and digital stuff, which I don't fully understand. But it's the future of technology and new employment, I think, in the region. So it's fun to see these brightest kids around uh, doing projects just blow your head off. And all of it's happening in this maelstrom of new construction and, and so on. I never believed when we built uh, Central City with its 20-odd story tower and its great galleria that I'd be able to look to the north and see a 60-story hotel tower with Quantlin University and other projects just down the street or to see another Bing project, uh, Bing Tom, our great architect, uh, who designed their library uh, just down the row. And the library must be one of the great libraries of the world. Uh, you go into it and you it's almost like a flower opening up before your eyes. Nobody expects that in Surrey, no. We, we are pretty snobbish in this town. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, what's evolving is a glorious center. So the real question now, as I still look at this from my aged precipice, uh, well, what about the social glue? You know, we've got this physical thing happening. It's really quite dramatic and beautiful. But what's the social glue? And Wally, historic Wally, the old center, you know, it really was a commercial slum. And we were very bold to have built what we built. But at the same time, you have this dramatic new capital spending and construction, tons of money being spent. And at the same time, there's an underclass right nearby. Till recently, it was a tent city uh, on one of the northern avenues. Uh, the city's finally dealing with that and providing temporary housing and so on. But there's an underlying question about, well, what about the people that have been forgotten out there, just as the Native women have forgotten down here in the downtown east side? So the, there's real questions about First Nations women out there, as there was here. There's real questions there, even more so than here, I think, around immigration. It's the focus of integration. So then you just have to ask, as we did with Pierluigi, well, what about all this all happening at the same time? And uh, what about the social glue that this new central business district needs? And he says, yeah, there's no question. So 
I see that as one of the great challenges. Can the university, Simon Fraser University, accommodate to some extent the forgotten underclass that they're in the middle of? I think not. And can they do something that is an integrative way of marrying a lot of these pieces together so it isn't just a social work project, not that there's anything wrong with social work per se, but there's a, an opportunity there to build a, a new community, I think, in terms of culture and the economy and the forgotten people. And I think that's a fascinating new base for a downtown. It's stretching a bit, but uh, that's what we have to do when you're building a new town. Now, certainly the, the um, demographic trends in Surrey would, would back you up. Uh, by 2040, it's going to have a population larger than the city of Vancouver. The geographic space in uh, Surrey is much larger than the, the city of Vancouver. Three times. Yeah, and, and um, there <laughs> has been recently the, the civic election where they had a plan for the streetcar system, and the new mayor is... Um, pushing again for SkyTrain, and I'm wondering if you can speak with your uh, urban planner hat on, because that's when you, where you started your career in terms of thinking about how strategic public investments can work towards the type of vision you're talking about. Yeah, it's fascinating, and uh, uh, the, the new mayor was the old mayor, and uh, uh, he was the old mayor then when we did the Galleria and Deja the Deja vu all over again. <laughs> it sure is. So, uh, well, some of us old farts really do recycle ourselves <laughs> one way or another. So uh, it's, uh, and it's fun. Um, I was told by a, a colleague just yesterday, I'd forgotten that I'd met the existing mayor because at the time I was a big shot cabinet minister and I was ready to build this university and tower and move ICBC there. And uh, this old colleague said, uh, do, you, do you remember that meeting? I said, no, I, I, I remember working with the city manager and the staff and the rest. And he said, well, you know, he, he, this uh, fellow, who's the new mayor again? What's his name? Uh, Doug McCallum. Yeah. Anyway, he was there, and he was stewing away because I was seen as this socialist boogeyman that was going to come in and tell him what to do and all the rest of it. And he said, so he was he was shaking, he was upset, and, you know, here he's the mayor, and why is he worried about somebody like me? Good question. So he says, you walked into the room and he said, oh, it's so much fun to be back in Surrey. I was a young consulting town planner, and Bill Vanderzam was the mayor of uh, Surrey, and he hired me. You mean the so-called social credit guy that became cream, premier of the province and was a bit of a screwball? Uh, he hired you to uh, be his advising planner? And I said, yeah, he had wanted me to advise him on what about a density in apartments around North Surrey? What about uh, a plan for Cloverdale? And I, I did all that stuff. And my old friend said, after that, he was just overjoyed and happy to work with you. You weren't this mad socialist, couldn't work with anybody across the river. Well, now time moves forward, and he's suggesting a range of ideas that I don't think are crazy at all. So accelerating SkyTrain, that doesn't bother me. The top people in transit were saying they wanted it in a decade anyway. Is that a, a killer? No. And we're lucky enough to have a new mayor in Vancouver that said, yeah, let's try and work with them if that's what they want. And uh, as we've played with some of these ideas, you know, 
one of the things that everybody should be looking at is trying to get some of the cost of this capital spending back out of the landowners. I think there's a kind of win-win possibility out in North Surrey uh, where uh, we try and get land owners to pay a good chunk of the infrastructure, the streetcar that's going in, or the sky, pardon me, SkyTrain that's going in. And uh, this mayor just might be able to have a win-win game. Let's think about uh, Old Jorth Road. That's 104th, and that's the road that goes from downtown Central City out to Guildford. Well, Guildford is a huge shopping center, and they're beginning to think about high density and what that could mean in that center and making it a much more livable community. I think they're ready to pay a ton in order to get that streetcar going. So I think if the mayor uh, is not foolishly anti-tax and uh, wants to win and win, he might have the prospect of having at least the trolley along 104th and SkyTrain heading to Langley. And uh, that's a win for everybody. Bob, now, one of the things that was uh, talked about um, in this election, it's been an, a crisis for a very long time, is the, is the crisis of affordable housing. You've seen yeah. and read the city over a very long moment from the time uh, that you worked as a, as a planner. You grew up in East Vancouver. Yeah. But wondering if you can sort of give your take on the affordable housing crisis uh, across Metro Vancouver. Well, you know, I'm so old that uh, I went through uh, the World War II housing crisis. My dad was in the Army and came back, and uh, we were in the Army camp up in Vernon, B.C. at the time, and uh, we were going to come home to Vancouver. Vancouver didn't have any housing for all these soldiers coming home. It was terrible, and it was probably worse than even now. And so what do we do? We moved in with my grandmother. And uh, my aunt had to share her bed with me, which uh, wasn't a lot of fun for her, I'm sure. Uh, but, uh, and then we just had to strike out. And we ended up renting the back of a store on the east side. And we lived in that for three years. And we didn't have a bathtub, you know. Imagine going to high school and not having a bathtub. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you can imagine. Uh, so it was a terrible time. But the feds really built then. They had massive housing programs in neighborhoods like Fraser View in Vancouver and Renfrew Heights were all built by the federal government. And it took three years for us to move from the back of a store uh, to a, a veterans housing project at the same time. So the feds invested massively in housing. They don't do it now. So that was transformational. Uh, we have to gear up for more of the same uh, now. It's overdue. And uh, my colleague Thomas uh, Bevan has been looking at what's working well at the moment. And uh, these temporary boxes, you know, like uh, freight boxes that uh, on, the, on the ships, but are sort of modern ones, prefabricated in a few months and then moved to empty city land, look like a very quick answer to solving immediate homelessness but then you need a whole ton of programs and you also have to rethink taxation and begin to tax land uh, to the degree you should that begins to loosen it up for uh, development so uh, the new council in Vancouver is taking it seriously uh, all the candidates wanted to deal with housing the provincial government is ready to get more serious about it and uh, so on 
So we could be on the edge of uh, really good work on the part of government, um, but it's a ton of work and it's a ton of money too. Now let's talk about your mad socialist period for a moment since you've brought it up. Uh, things got uh, covered a little bit by uh, the book by Rod Mickleborough and, oh, yeah. uh, and Jeff Meggs, but I'm wondering if you can share an anecdote or two about that crazy mad period between 72 and 75 in the, yeah. in the Barrett government. Oh, I'd love to because, you know, I could be the class historian. and Sadly, nobody's very interested in history in, in this day and age. Uh, but for us, it was a ton of fun because uh, here we were, uh, democratic socialists that wanted government to do more, be more meaningful and effective and, and uh, helpful. You were Bernie people before Bernie. <laughs> That's true. Um, so, uh, but we didn't think twice about it. We're just going to do it. And, uh, uh, and we did it. Uh, so the amount of housing that was constructed in those days was phenomenal. We simply took over a company like Polygon, the big company around here right now, and, and bought it lock, stock, and barrel. So we had the brightest housing developers in the province, not bureaucrats, housing developers building projects, and they had a land inventory. So we, and the true story is uh, Michael O'Dane, who's now the head of Polygon and very successful, we hired as our deputy, one of our deputies in the housing ministry. And uh, th we had a lot of money to spend in those days. And Dave Barrett was a wonderful guy that was happy to let us all do a ton of stuff. Uh, he heard the numbers wrong. Uh, and he was both premier and minister of finance. So the true story is we spent 10 times what the request was because Barrett hadn't heard the request properly. So in that sense, we were a bit of a chaotic government as well. So the ton of housing that was built was uh, 10 times more than Michael O'Dane had asked for. <laughs> so he really had to bust his ass to, to bring up. So we didn't have a housing problem in those days at all. And we still operated within the budget. So it was uh, wonderful. And I was a gutsy kid that wanted to uh, play more of a role in the forest industry. So I ended up as Minister of Forests uh, buying up companies that were ready to sell to somebody else. And I said, no, I'll, I'll buy it from you instead. So we ended up building a forest industry owned by the Crown for uh, pretzels, and we uh, ended up making nothing but money out of it uh, and saving uh, the employment in the Northwest and in the Southeast. And, uh, and I learned a lot about how to run a forest company real fast, I'll tell you, real fast. And, uh, and I found people that could advise me and, uh, of course, were more qualified than I. But the combination was killer. Uh, we had the most stimulated period in capital spending in, in forest industry in our history till then. And now, uh, in the time since, 40-odd years or 50, however long it is, uh, it's been in decline ever since. It's a sad story. We see the city booming, but the hinterland is uh, declining. So uh, they keep voting liberal, and they're declining. And <laughs> Surrey started voting for the NDP, and they're booming like hell. Is there a political message here? You're damn right there is. <laughs> you, you recently uh, wrote a report for the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives on yeah. forestry in BC. I wonder if you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I felt it was overdue because I'd never achieved what I wanted in forestry because I was busy in all these other departments and interfering with them and helping them. Um, so uh, there's a terrible gap between uh, the communities 
and the managing of the forests and the running of the companies. So until we transform that, uh, our marvelous forest lands are essentially being abandoned to a digital mechanical way of uh, running them for the benefit of the international corporations. That's 95% of our land. That's such a sterile, dumb idea, I can't believe it. When I was a kid, uh, you know, and I worked in the Forest Service when I was 19, and uh, I worked in the uh, Kootenays when, oh my God, there were still paddle wheelers on the Arrow Lake. <laughs> Imagine that, and kind of gas lamp trains and stuff like that. It's hard to believe. And there was people uh, that settled there from Britain and elsewhere uh, in this hinterland before the lake was flooded. I mean, I remember sitting on that paddle wheeler and they just ram into the dock. If you had a flag up, it was such a shallow barge that you could just park right there on the beach. And there was a place in Halcyon Hot Springs where a, a Boer War general retired there, still wore his epaulets and his thing. And, and he had a pet goat, for God's sake, tethered with a rope to his waist. And he would blow a whistle to welcome the paddle wheeler. This is a kid from the East End here, and I flew a 1927 Junker aircraft with corrugated floor, and I was so dumb and good on air photographs that they had me being the bombardier in this crazy German aircraft, the biplane, and I was so dumb that I was willing to tie myself to the fuselage, pull out the trap door, and then drop food drops on distant trailways for uh, young <coughs> kids that were marching along and needed a food drop midway on one of their long journeys. I did it all, and the pilot would say to me, hey, kid, you know, I'm the only one that'll try and land on this bloody lake. You know that? <laughs> so it was uh, an indelible education for a city boy. And uh, so I feel an obligation to try and cart back to the times when people were relevant in these distant areas. It's all digitalized and financialized and brutalized now. So it's a dramatic uh, comeback that's necessary and hardly any of us city folks know how awful our policies are. I was going to ask you oh, about... And so the way is to create a, uh, a forester general who reports to the whole legislature and not tied up in the internal politics and have local regional foresters so there's a feedback loop between both communities. That's the essence of it. The, the goal is to democratize it. And that's really the great challenge in modern society. How do we democratize this crazy digitalized world? Yeah, the last uh, couple of weeks for our first couple of episodes, uh, we interviewed Maria Dorbinskaya from the Broadbent Institute uh, and then Bill Thielman from the No Side. But since we have the benefit of an old fart like you <laughs> here, uh, Bob, wondering if you can uh, give your perspective on the proportional representation referendum. Well... I mean, this province uh, has generally uh, suffered uh, right-wing governments of uh, one kind or another. Not hopelessly right-wing like the U.S. has, uh, but uh, still right-wing governments that serve primary corporate interests. Um, and uh, every now and then uh, the public decides they're too crooked, the 
the shit in the stable is too deep, oh well, we can let the socialists clean out the stable at least and let them govern for a little while. So that's my read of the present system. Every now and then we clean the shit out and they don't trust us to govern. After we had to do that, clean the shit out uh, from a government that they shouldn't have trusted in the first place. So you know, how do you grapple with that? It's all nonsense. And so, uh, and then I know the hinterland the way I do from that early work as a kid. Um, we need diversity. We greatly, this is a great, great province. The potential is almost limitless. So we desperately need diversity. And uh, I have no trouble, uh, you know, working with the Greens one way or even with uh, true conservatives. I, you know, red Tories are wonderful people to work with. And I think learning to work in coalition governments is, would, could be quite exciting. And especially if we attempt some of these decentrally, decentralized models that I'm talking about for forestry. Um, the great tragedy is that we're not using the human skill and desire and goals and passions and ideologies to inhabit this giant, bloody province, you know? Uh, uh, <laughs> All of the hinterland is declining in population and work, and then we're crowding ourselves into the lower mainland. We really need diversity to repopulate the province. So in some ways, the really grand question mark for British Columbia is what should our settlement policy be? How should we settle northern Vancouver Island, which is empty? How do we center, you know, decentralize the whole north-central interior, which is empty in many ways? This is a world-scale world opportunity, and none of us think of it that way. No, it's up to those goddamn corporations that continue to rob us blind in some ways. So we really have to straighten out and fly right. Great. Thank you so much for joining us, Bob. Thank you. It's fun. Thanks for listening this week. Uh, thanks to Bob Williams for talking to us. And a huge thanks to our producers, Jamie Lee Gonzalez, Maria Cecilia Saba. Uh, I won't thank myself. I'm Melissa Roach. And of course, uh, I'm Joe Hall, your host for this week. Tune in next week. We'll be talking to Patricia Reed, a Berlin-based visual artist. Mm-hmm.